Shortly before sunrise, well, it's 4.44 a.m., that's not all that short, the moon separates from Neptune and starts working on a trine to Saturn. Trines to Saturn, not a bad thing. Uh, Ramsey says that you could talk to old men, put manure in the ground, so if you're doing some... Uh, uh, some gardening and that sort of stuff. Work on something ruinous. If if you have something that needs repairs, this is a good time for it. Um, so, oh yeah, you know, uh, give grandma grandpa a call, that sort of thing. Uh, Saturn will really love this. The Daily Rios for November 2nd, 2012. It's another Feedback Friday, and please, by all means, if you're listening and you haven't sent in feedback yet, do so. You can email me at peter at thedailyrios.com. You can leave a comment on the website, or you can uh, leave a comment through Twitter, which uh, you can find me at Peter J. Rios. If you have an iPhone and you have the voice recorder memo, you can send me uh, a voice message. You can email it, and you can record it, and then email it, and I'll play it on the show. I just want to throw that out there because uh, I got one or two new ones today, one uh, feedback from, from listeners I haven't heard from. And that was great. So I want to continue that practice. So I decided to throw all that information out early on in the episode. So here we go. Uh, The first couple comments are from the last Feedback Friday two weeks ago. And the first one is Whirlwind Kevin says, Really enjoying the continuing comics benchmark talk. I've been following the Comics Should Be Good blog at Comic Book Resources, where they run down the top 100 runs. Always enjoy when these are done year to year, even though some recent comics are usually too high on the list. Some great titles on there, and ones that I would consider benchmarks. And then to that same discussion, Chris Beckett says, I think the Stan Lee, Steve Ditko Spider-Man has to be in that benchmark category. It arguably includes everything that makes Spidey who he is. Along those same lines, I was listening to a podcast that was answering questions for a big anniversary episode, and someone asked about definitive Vertigo runs in reference to Scalped recently coming to an end. And the host started talking about how things changed to where we discussed these lengthy runs with Why the Last Man and DMZ, and I was shouting at the iPod that Sandman has to be Uh, when the discussion of long-form personal works for Vertigo specifically began, with series like Preacher and Transmetropolitan and Invisibles being the heirs apparent to that. I agree. Seriously, any discussion of definitive Vertigo runs that doesn't include Sandman? That's sorely lacking. (laughs) I would also throw in there Swamp Thing as well. Any of those. uh, Hellblazer. I mean... Hellblazer, the longest Vertigo running title right now. It's ready to hit issue 300. That's amazing. So benchmarks, that was a big discussion on that last Feedback Friday. Thanks, guys, for throwing in your thoughts. Benchmarks, uh, and specifically comic runs that are benchmarks, since that's what Kevin and Chris brought up. This is tricky for me. I don't want to say that a benchmark comic can't be a run, or that it only can be a single or collaborative vision-type book. You know, something along the lines of, say, Mouse, that which is a singular vision, or Watchmen, which was collaborative, right? A run should certainly have the chance to be a benchmark. Uh, I, I think there has to be larger, larger goals, or, 
um, or maybe a better way to put it is I think there needs to be a wider circumference of importance, inspiration, influence, definitely, maybe appeal. And with all that in mind, uh, going back to the ones, the runs that were offered up from Chris and Kevin, Sandman, absolutely. That's one that ultimately is it's, it's a single vision comic run in terms of having one writer, but because it had multiple artists. So then the question becomes, is it just because of Neil Gaiman, right? Those of us familiar with comics and comic artists could probably cite the many artists on the series, but the masses, I guess I want to venture a guess in saying more often than not, most outside of comics kind of people were probably reading it for Neil Gaiman and Neil alone. Sure, they probably have their favorite artists, but uh, they followed it because of Neil. They discovered it because of maybe the characters. They stayed with it because of the writer, and then they would follow the writers later. So um, so Sandman, as a benchmark, probably, right? I, I think it has to... I, I think it could work. Um, with Chris's uh, other mention of Amazing Spider-Man, he related it to the importance of, of Spider-Man, the character itself, everything that makes Spidey who he is. So it's certainly a benchmark in terms of Spider-Man comics. Benchmark for comics itself as a larger discussion? Maybe. Certainly the first major teen hero, uh, Steve Ditko. Happy birthday, by the way. Steve Ditko's art. The Rogues Gallery, which oftentimes is cited as one of the best rogues gallery in comics. So I think, I think so, a benchmark, possibly. It's hard. I I need evidence. I, I, <laughs> I support the claim, right? Uh, that That's what this discussion is about. In this larger discussion about benchmarks, uh, we, we, we make the claim, or, or we make it, and then we have to support it, right? Uh, in that last Feedback Friday, I, I, I talked about Fantastic Four, the Stan Lee, Jack Kirby, Fantastic Four, and also gave it a possibly in terms of, of a benchmark in comics. Mostly because, for me, the evidence for me is it's the foundation of the entire Marvel Universe. It's cited as inspirational to many artists. There were tons of Kirby clones that would eventually find their own style, but probably discovered Fantastic Four and and became Kirby clones and, and became uh, people who wanted to be in comics. Uh, Kirby developing the superhero comics, the visual language created for superhero comics for decades, the stories, the characters. Did Ditko have that wide of influence? Did Amazing Spider-Man have that wide of an influence? Is that enough? Does it have to be that? Does it always have to have mass consumption? Probably not. I mean, if we're talking superhero comics and and the way to do superhero comics, is there any more perfect example than Giant Size X-Men? Chris Claremont, Len Wayne, Dave Cockrum. That team dynamic, right, that would influence comics for years, especially when John Byrne got on the book. I mean, hell, Image Comics built their entire first wave on Giant Sized and, and on, on Claremont Byrne Comics. 
right? The whole team dynamic, the way you build a certain team, the leader guy, the witch or magician, the strong guy, the guy with blades, the swashbuckling girl or guy, the young neophyte. I mean, until comics like Grant Morrison's JLA and Authority and Stormwatch when Warren Ellis took over, I mean, that team dynamic was the mold. And it wasn't until we got widescreen comics that it kind of seemed to break that mold. So, Amazing Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, Giant Size, are these benchmarks? And what's the proof? What... What, where, where's the uh, evidence to support all that? Let's let's talk about it. Let's see what happens, right? I mean, I assume if we're giving a longer list, like the top 100 benchmarks, yes, I firmly believe those three would be on there, uh, as well as Sandman. So, um, Amazing Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, certain eras, right? The eras that we're talking about, Giant Size X-Men, uh, Sandman, those would be in those top 100 uh, and like I said, I'm not trying to do this alone. I'm not. I'm not trying to define it. I want input. I want pros and cons. Whatever. What do you think? What do you think about what I just said? Uh, do you think those should be on a benchmark list um, beyond things like I liked it or even it's the definitive uh, Spider-Man or Superman story? I mean, is it is it is there something larger to that that would help define it? I want true benchmarks that resonate over decades. I think that would be great. So, yes, I, I firmly believe that there's strong arguments for all those things that we mentioned. I think when we talk about benchmarks, we, we, we tend to think of smaller runs or limited series or certain issues or original graphic novels. But what about these long runs, right? Looking at CBG's list, and I'm um, not CBG, a comic resources list, and I fully understand that this isn't what they are going for. They're not trying to make a definitive statement on ben the benchmark of comics. They're going for just runs, and uh, it's all voter-driven, right? So it's not like, it's not even a discussion. It's just who's earning the most points. So looking at the list, uh, looking at just the top 10 list, they have down here uh, Walter Simonson's Thor at 10, and then going down the list, uh, Preacher, followed by Grant Morrison's Batman, Interesting. Frank Miller and Klaus Johnson's Daredevil, Stan Lee and Steve Ditko's Amazing Spider-Man. There it is. Uh, number five, Why the Last Man. Number four, uh, Stan Lee, Jack Kirby's Fantastic Four. Number three, Alan Moore Swamp Thing. Number two, Chris Claremont, John Byrne, and Terry Austin's X-Men. And then number one, Neil Gaiman's Sandman. So again, I know they're not looking at it at, from a benchmark point of view. They're just looking at it at as, as top runs and given, giving points to them, and this is the list they came, a, came up with. Um, if we were to hash this list and discuss it and talk about it, I think Why the Last Man is entirely too high. Higher than Amazing Spider-Man? Higher than Daredevil? Frank Miller's Daredevil? I don't know. And I, now I'm thinking of benchmark, right? I'm not necessarily thinking of just random a, a random 100 run list, but... Um, given the points that they were given, I guess people thought it was. I don't think I would put it that high. I haven't read it, so I, let me throw that out. I haven't read it. I haven't read some of the stuff, but um, it just seems in the larger comic book discussion that I am very familiar with, um, that I pride myself on, on being part of and really kind of looking at, you know, looking at all 
where things kind of move and where the dis larger comic book discussion goes across the internet and across various podcasts and different articles and magazines, Why the Last Man is certainly a great series. Is it greater than Amazing Spider-Man? Stan Lee and Steve Ditko's Amazing Spider-Man? Hmm, I'm not sure I could agree with that. Um, I also think Grant Morrison's Batman, that's, that's way high. That's way high. Number eight on the top 100 list? Wow. Um, Preacher? Better than Walt Simonson's Thor? Or higher up, I should say, than Walt Simonson's Thor, I guess? Um, I don't know. Looking at the, at the list beyond that, uh, you know, Brian Michael Bendis' Ultimate Spider-Man is number 17. Um, Marv Wolfman and George Perez, New Teen Titans, number 14. Grant Morrison's JLA, number 12. Um, Peter David's Hulk is all the way back at 26. Walking Dead is back at 28. And then we have things like, like here, 35. Mark Miller and Brian Hitch's Ultimates, all the way back at 35. Um, Stan Lee and John Romita Spider-Man at 37. Jeff Smith's Bone at 41. Love and Rockets at 40. Again, I, I understand that this is people who have vo uh, vo votes to spread, and maybe they haven't read this most of this stuff. You know, we have... We have things like Peter David's second run on X-Factor beating Jack Kirby's Fourth World. That's not right. <laughs> Dave Sim, Cerebus beating Jack Kirby's Fourth World? Maybe. Maybe there's a discussion to be had in there. Yeah, it's an interesting list, and, and it's all, you know, it's all user-based and whatever. Um, it's all based on what they read and points to give out. I think I think it's a little... A little skewed, and certainly in in terms of what I'm trying to discuss, I wouldn't follow that list. But uh, yeah, nonetheless, very interesting, great great uh, addition to the dis larger discussion, and I definitely want to hear more from more people. All right, continuing on with the feedback, Nick Q says this episode of Feedback Friday is why I love the Daily Rios. Smart talk, details, strong opinions, and thoughtful comments makes me think the Daily Rios is the 60 minutes of podcasting. How about that? And about the length of the episode, it's perfect for me. Nick, thank you so much for that. High praise indeed. Uh, on to other episodes. Uh, Monday Musings. This was the Inspiration Edition episode. Nick Q again, he says, It was a hoot trying to ID each actor and film. Gave me an idea for an episode. How about giving us your top five film actors? It would be interesting to hear your opinion concerning their style and technique, Perhaps a favorite scene as well, like Brando's monologue in On the Waterfront. Two of my favorite actors right off the bat. John Cusack, ever since Better Off Dead. And Robert Downey Jr., ever since Less Than Zero, way before he became Tony Stark. Cusack, probably because of his everyman approach. Very Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks-ish, uh, which is also, he's also probably one of my favorites. Downey Jr., because of his raw, instinctual, go-with-your-impulse type acting. I love that. I love that kind of acting. It's something I really connect to. So this is a good topic, Nick, and uh, I don't think I'm going to answer it fully on, on this little bit here, but I'll definitely put it on the list to talk about later. I, I just think I need to think about who else is on that list, who, who else... Are my favorite actors and why and be, what what about their acting style draws me to them certainly someone like Kate Blanchett um, Meryl Streep come on Jack Nicholson right these they have decades of 
their, their career lasts decades, and there's a reason why. But I also like people people like uh, David Strathairn, Paul Giamatti, John Malkovich, Tim Curry, <laughs> Morgan Freeman. Um, I like actors who who meld into their part and sort of get out of the way of themselves and become that part. I mean, that's not Tim Curry by a long shot. <laughs> but Kate Blanchett and David Strathairn, yeah, I mean, those those actors, they become their roles, and the actor is hidden underneath whatever you're, it is you're watching. Um, the current crop of actors, people, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, just because, Emma Stone, right? These are easy marks, but I dig them. And, and there are actors whose craft I appreciate, but aren't necessarily my favorite. I don't dislike them. I just don't, they're not my favorite, but Gary Oldham. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's amazing. Philip Seymour Hoffman. Amazing. Right. So good topics. This is, this is a really good topic. Uh, I got it. I just got to give it a little more thought. So Nick, thanks for, um, suggesting that. Uh, for the Timeline Tuesday episode, here's someone we haven't heard from, uh, Chad Burdett, uh, the unknown fanboy on the old CGS forums. He writes in and says, Birds of Prey was an all-right series, the TV show. When it first came on, I remember making an effort to watch the show. Then it kind of fell by the wayside. Within the last year, I watched it on Netflix. Doesn't hold up, not really. I think they ran into the, we are canceled, so we have to wrap it up somewhat. At least check it out. And I will. I'll definitely check it out. And um, although I, I was going to make a comparison to the current show Arrow, but I've been hearing some interesting things about it. I just haven't, I've yet to watch it. I'm going to, because I want to talk about it on a TV Tuesday episode. Uh, I thought maybe it would go the way of Birds of Prey, but I don't know. Some people are kind of digging it. Whirlwind Kevin, also on the Timeline Tuesday episodes, says, People don't talk about Christopher Priest's Black Panther enough. I'll take a two-volume omnibus of that. Here, here, I agree. He says, that series was a bit of a turning point for me. I dropped the Spider-Man titles I wasn't enjoying and decided to support a series that I would enjoy and that was a higher quality at the time. That's great. That's awesome. That's the way comics should be read. Uh, Chris Bailey on that same episode. These timeline episodes are my favorite so far. Loved hearing someone finally bringing up Comico. As a fan growing up, I loved indie book publishers like Comico, Now, Malibu, and First. Books like Elementals, X-Mutants, Grendel, and The Justice Machine were a few I collected when I could find them on store shelves. Indie books were like a new world, always had my imagination running wild. Usually it would end up with me on my sketchpad drawing my own universe of characters, which occasionally guest-starred heroes from the big two. They usually played second fiddle to my guys. Yep, I remember when Batman left the Outsiders at DC to join my hero group, the New Outsiders. Original, I know. They consisted, they consisted of Mudslinger, Army Iron Man type, Mecha Man, Miracle Man meets Rocketeer, Dark Terror, a Wolverine Batman meets Rick Hunter Robotech, and the no-nonsense Madhouse, a shameless Punisher ripoff with long hair and balding forehead and a lightning bolt tattoo. He even wore the exact Punisher suit. Lawsuit! The team also had a revolving door of DC Marvel characters like Batman, Superman, and Blue Devil. Damn it, I am rambling again, so I'll stop now. A fellow comics fan understands these ramblings, so to everyone else reading this, I apologize. Chris left that comment on the website, so that's where that last sentence comes from. Uh, Chris and I traded some tweets about other comico series that I read in the 80s. Star Blazers, Next Man, 
he mentioned Elementals. Uh, Justice Machine, I certainly remember seeing in the 80s, but only picked up a bunch of issues in the past few years. And then there was Fish Police, Johnny Quest, and it would take years before I read it, but I did read the first volume of Mage, and that was during when Image actually had it, and they were repackaging it and putting it out through Image with a horrible, it had a horrible packaging. You could barely open the comic up. And I also read Maze Agency during uh, CGS Book of the Month uh, episodes uh, and others. So, yeah, Comico, you know, certainly uh, an important publisher back then. And to his second part, <laughs> I fully understand the whole creation of a personal comic book universe. Here's a little secret. I did the same thing. Now, I'm certainly quick to point out that once I got into podcasting, I didn't use it and I didn't have plans to be in the comic field. Uh, there certainly were times when there would be uh, one ads for editors and people used to say, you should do that. Adam Murdo should do that. And I just, that's not what I really am interested in. And that's certainly not why I continued podcasting. Now, I did send a few pitches into DC around 2000, 2001, specifically a Captain Comet revitalization for his 50th anniversary, and a few others. One that I swear became an actual comic called JLA Destiny, but I'll talk about that in a, another episode. But after that, nah, it, it held no interest. I went back to reading comics, and then I had a, a small AOL website that I would talk about comics and do annotations and things like that. But I, I have no desire to do that anymore. No, no, I don't want to be an editor, a writer, whatever. Uh, I'm a terrible writer. <laughs> but um, but I was on, on the track to, I, to being an artist throughout high school and a few courses in college. And not necessarily because I wanted to be a comics creator. Um, you know, just as I got labeled the DC guy on, on the CGS podcast... Yet I read everything I could buy all through the 80s and, and, and through a lot of the 90s. Uh, it really wasn't until the mid to late 90s, 2000s that I concentrated heavily on DC. So even though I was looked on as the DC guy, you know, that wasn't necessarily true. But I also came to comics with more than just trivia and all that. I came at it with an art background as well. Um, you know, I, I took foundation classes. I took art history, painting, figure drawing, sculpture, clay work. Uh, from about seventh grade all the way through to graduation, and like I said, a few courses in college. I thought during high school that I was actually going to get into the art field, most likely maybe commercial art. Uh, you got to remember that this is pre-computer graphic design time, you know. Uh, I thought I was going to be in architecture. Uh, I was a huge fan of mechanical drawing. Uh, ultimately, I thought art direction would have been better. Um, it's the reason... Why, when I direct theater, I think designers probably get a little irked with me because I can straight up draw set designs and I can do costume designs, or at the very least, I'm able to visually show them what's what's in my brain. So yes, you know, I am the DC guy now, uh, but I also, you know, read a, read a lot of comics for a number of years, and I'm not just a trivia guy. You know, I, I also um, was really into art. So creating your own universe. You know, Chris, I, I get it. <laughs> I get it. And I think that's probably fairly common. Uh, for me, it started out with drawing my own characters, and then the first 
quote-unquote real comic I created as a kid was they were actually super Pac-Man strips based off the old Pac-Man cartoon with the power pellets and the ghosts and that guy with, in the robes with that thing over his jaw. I can't remember, remember his name. Uh, I did whole super Pac-Man strips that are lost to time right now. But even before that, uh, I used to take old comics and eventually Who's Who and Marvel, Univer Marvel Universal Hotma books, and I would Greg Land the shit out of them, tracing them, tracing them from comics over and over, creating my characters, which would lead to villains, right, because every hero needs a villain, which would lead to teams, which would lead to headquarters and character logos that my cousin would make up, uh, eventually storylines, Oh, Hotmo entries, um, it, events, a whole timeline of, of my continuity, of, of the history of my characters and my universe. I have a sketchbook that is just ads, what my characters and stories would look like in ads and for promotional material. It's crazy, right? This is something I don't think I've ever, ever, ever talked about, not to this degree. Um, eventually, the tracing... Uh, would move from tracing to just using it as reference material, right? Where I would, I was good enough in the late 80s and, and early 90s during college so that I could look off of material without having to trace. And like all great jack-of-trades, um, jack-of-all-trades, I can still doodle, uh, just like I can kind of still play piano. Not great. I, I don't, you know, some of that stuff never leaves you. It's all practice. So I've always thought of myself more as an idea man, Good ideas about where things could go, where stories could go, where art can go. Looking at art, looking at uh, and sort of seeing what works and what doesn't work. And there are many costumes of some of my characters that I'm like, damn, that is a damn good costume. <laughs> I should probably should have gone into fashion to some degree. Oh, boy. Uh, yes, I, I know what you're talking about. I have to imagine a lot of people in the comics industry right now probably did the same thing. Um, creating their own universe. I mean, hell, before Reign of the Zodiac, anybody remember that DC book? Uh, it was Keith Giffen, Colleen Duran, back from 2003, 2004. Uh, it was a very sci-fi uh, space opera type book. Before that came out, I really thought I had what would make for a great science fiction space opera comic based on, um, based on the Zodiac to some degree. And, and now that Saga is out... You know, it's like all plans <laughs> for that are squashed because it's a different story entirely than Saga uh, or even The Reign of the Zodiac. But any book, any sci-fi book coming out post-Saga is probably going to be a hard act to follow um, and and would probably get uh, compared to Saga. But yeah, so I mean, you know, those ideas are in me, but right now they're just, they're for me. They're all for me. It's I, I enjoy looking at all that old stuff and going, wow, look how much time I spent on this stuff. I could, I could, should I care to, if I ever wanted to, I could start a whole new line of comics. It would be the whole new cross-gen all over again with characters and histories and interconnections. And, um, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I certainly had my ripoffs too. I had a whole, I had a character that was ripped off of Nightwing and, um, and some other things here and there, but yeah, I, I, I get it, Chris. Believe me, I get it. I really do. <laughs> All right, going on, uh, New Comics Wednesday from, not this week, but last week, Sandy Parker says that Image Comics, 
miniseries, Change, sounds exactly like my kind of weird. Thanks for bringing it to my attention. And you got me ordering the Butcher Baker hardcover too. You can stop now. And then Eric from the Longbox podcast, uh, Longbox Review Podcast says, I was one of those turned off by Butcher Baker number one, but when the trade paperback is released, I may pick it up, mostly on your recommendation. Ha ha! Sometimes all it takes is enough gushing and people are hooked, which I love. And bad news too, because I just picked up the new November previews for my local comic, sh- comic shop. So more recommendations to come in the next few weeks whenever I do the next uh, previews episode. Can we talk about local comic shops and shop owners for a second? Can my local comic shop guy be any more of a drug pusher? (laughs) Seriously, right? I know I've said this before, here or wherever. It's like that. It's like, here, try this. Here, take it for free. Take a sample. Because they know if you like like it enough, you're going to pick up more. So over at South Philly Comics, which is literally like, you know, a couple bucks from my house, Tony, uh, who's a great guy, I, I was marveling at their collection of Heroclix figures, which is not a game I play at all. I'm not a roleplay kind of guy, you know, unless it's in the bedroom. What? Did I say that? <laughs> now my girlfriend is going to call me out on that. Anyway, um, I mentioned how cool they were, and, and they are. They're just really cool. And it made me think of how, I forget which... God, which CGS guy had a, a big Hero Clicks collection? And maybe it might be Jamie or someone else. They had it on a whole shelf, and it looked amazing. And, you know, I love Titans, and I love Legion of Superheroes, and I just happened to mention um, that in terms of the Hero Clicks figures, because I have a Donna Troy one, and I also have an Ambush Bug one, which is awesome. So Tony goes out and grabs his his clicks out of different containers and starts handing me a few Legion of Superheroes and Titans figures. So now I have uh, Legion of Superheroes, Mark Wade era characters such as um, Invisible Kid, Brainiac 5, Wildfire, and Starman. Although some of those actually might be from the Superman Jeff Johns era. And then he also gave me Blackfire, which is awesome, from, from the Titans, and Beast Boy from the Johns run, uh, designed by uh, Mike McCone, I think. So, like, I need another collecting hobby. (laughs) Thanks, Tony. No, I thought that was cool, but it just made me think of how funny it is that, uh, God, we're we're such easy marks, comic collectors. Such easy marks. All right, uh, just a few more here. Uh, This is from this week's Throwback Thursday episode, yesterday's episode, actually. Tony Hazel says, provided a link that, sure enough, Torpedo Comics went up in smoke in 2010. So they were around only for about three years or so. I made a comment looking through Wizard that uh, they did an article on Torpedo Comics, which was supposed to be this huge inventory of comics that they were going to sell online, and I wondered how how long they were in business, and it appears they weren't in business for very long. 2010, that's it. That's not good. Uh, And lastly here, this is just an iTunes review from Stanford Harvey Jr. He says, first off, it is great to have Peter back on the podcast air. His honesty, love for art, culture, and comic books makes this cast a daily treat. They are short and to the point, and there are some days when that is really what you need. I walk away from every cast with something new that I learned and, and can take away for the rest of my day, which is awesome. That is kind of my mission statement, so I appreciate that. I appreciate that listeners are recognizing that, and... Uh, Yes, it is a personal journal. Yes, I talk about uh, things that um, you know have to do with stuff in my life, but what else would I be talking about? I wouldn't be talking about your life because I don't live it. So yes, it is a personal journal. It is meant to be focused on things that I enjoy and things that are going on around me. 
um, because that's what I can speak about. <laughs> so if that's not something you want to hear, great, fine, don't listen. Um, but if you don't mind all that, I appreciate the support as always. I just find it funny sometimes when, when I hear the comment that, uh, wow, he sure does talk about himself a lot. Well, you know, the it is called the Daily Rios, and it is listed as a personal journal. So I don't think the fault is necessarily mine if you don't know what you're getting into. <laughs> All right, so if you want to leave feedback, peter at thedailyrios.com. Follow me on Twitter, Peter J. Rios. Go to the website, thedailyrios.com. Go to iTunes and leave, leave a review. There are some topics that I said to certain people that I would talk about this week, and I just didn't get to it. I will get to it, I promise. Um, go and listen to Comic Geek Speak 1293, where uh, the original eight are back uh, for that episode. Full force, uh, just to talk about some comics and to show what, uh, what it is CGS does best. And also go listen to the Hat Decides episode 80, where I join John, Matt, and Tim in a great discussion. Those guys make me laugh so much. I really appreciated them having me on the show. Thank you for listening this week, for the continued feedback, for the continued support, and your listenership. I really do appreciate and value that. And I will be back next week for more of this madness. <laughs>